welcome to another edition of the Bow Rush Podcast. You're listening to episode 34. I'm your host, Travis Stowe, and my co-host is Scott Nelson. You know what? We're getting close to opening archery season. There's some people are already in the mix, getting things done, getting themselves physically fit, tuning in their bows, making sure everything is in perfect shape for when the opening season of archery, they're ready to get out there and get the job done from opening day. And you know what? I'm hoping to be one of those people. Scott, hope it's to be one of those people. But there are some people that don't. Some people are, are those last minutes. I will throw this together. I know my bow's going to work. I'll shoot a couple arrows. They're the, you know what, I might start doing some walking, getting some preparation, and uh, maybe drop a pound or two before we actually get out in the woods. Before we get into the topic, I want to bring up a subject, something to think about. Ponder it in your mind for a little bit. You're a hunter. Are you a hunter that chooses to go after the weakest in the herd, the youngest, the one that you can outsmart without even thinking? Does that seem interesting to you? Because if it is, why don't you just go to the grocery store and buy your meat? Okay, so there are situations when you might actually want to take out the weakest link, but only because you're trying to strengthen the herd, not because you're lazy and you want to go after something that easy. I would think most hunters that want to have a challenge. The reason why they go hunting is because they want that challenge. They want to see if they can outwit the smartest buck or bull or whatever animal you might be going after. They want to challenge themselves, make this an adventure. And to do that, you almost need to be at your physical best. It's almost expected. If you're going to hunt an animal and you're going, you decide to take their life, why wouldn't you give them that much respect to be at your physical peak? Because in any kind of battle, why would you want to destroy the weakling? You want to hunt, you want to fight the strongest. Why? Because at the end, you want to say, I conquered that animal at their physical best, and I was at my physical best. Fitness is a big part of hunting. I think it's a big part of hunting. Scott thinks it's a big part of hunting. There is a huge movement of hunters that believe the same thing. Maybe 30, 40 years ago, it might have been a totally different situation. But today and how people feel about hunting and themselves is that fitness has a role to play. Well, today we're bringing on Dan Staten. And what I love about this episode is that Dan is down to earth. Here's a guy that's been in fitness for quite some time now. He even owns his own fitness gym up in Washington. He's got a website called Elk Shape, which you should definitely check it out when you get a chance. But um, we even talk in a little bit about CrossFit Games 2016. He just came back from it. Really intriguing. Some of the things that they got to experience. So for anyone of you that do not know who Dan is personally, he shares what he truly believes in. And I honestly think when it comes to fitness, this guy understands his stuff. And what's great about it is he's willing to share it. So you know what? Bring Get a pen and paper. Look, if you want to get fit and you know it's getting close to time, you want to help you know, try to get that motivation, this guy can get you there. He really does know his stuff. It's fascinating how he implements hunting and fitness and finds a way to make all this work. I can't wait for you to hear it. So enjoy. Let's get it started. Hello. Hey, Dan. How's it going? Good, man. How are you guys? Doing pretty good. Nah. Scott's on the line. Hey, Dan. How you doing, bud? Uh, what's up, brothers? Uh, it's late for you guys. 
Oh man, it's it's never too late to jump on the phone and talk about hunting and uh, getting in shape, bud. <laughs> we, we're we're forty, I think forty five days out from season, so it's uh, the blood's starting to flow. <laughs> I feel you totally, man. Well, uh, how, you- uh, how how did you just jump right in? Just because I'm um, me and Travis. Travis just got into CrossFit and he's loving it. I've been in for about four years now. Uh, how was it out there, man? How'd it go? Uh, it was unbelievable. It was uh, it was the best one yet. Uh, I've been fortunate to go to a couple games, and it was the best one yet. And I wasn't even out there competing. I was just mainly coaching and then spectating, and it was awesome. And then has it not just blown your mind kind of see the progression of athletes over the next over the last like five years? Yeah. So like there was a seventeen year old kid who squat clean three thirty five. That's I did nuts. see that. I did see that. I quit. You know what I mean? I'm like, are you serious? <laughs> man, that's insane. And he made it look. He made it look easy, and he did it under duress because he just had done a, a a couplet sprint right before, got a minute rest, and then I don't know. My mind was blown. My mind was blown. But it's it's fun to be in front of the wave early on before it kind of caught fire, and just to see yep. it grow. Uh, my wife and I just looked at each other and was like, oh, I can't believe we're a part of this. So I hope the wave <laughs> continues. I, I remember seeing workouts. I was like, you know what? I can do that. And now I look at workouts. I'm like, yeah, there's no way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Humility is now a major factor. You know, the one thing oh, I was right. I was a little disappointed about is that they had everything on ESPN3, but unfortunately, I'm not sure what it was. Maybe my provider but my ESPN3, all it would give me, I missed every individual uh, heat of the event. It, every, it gave me the commercial of commercials, and then when it would say CrossFit's coming back, and then it goes back at commercials the entire time. I never saw, all I got oh. to see was the recap, and all the recaps they had on the website was the team events or the Masters. Oh. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. So I can't, like, I'm trying to find stuff on YouTube. And then it comes down to I'm probably going to have to watch the documentary. It's about it because I missed the entire thing. I couldn't watch any of it, which irritated me. Oh, man. Yeah, I heard coverage wasn't <laughs> the best this year um, from people. We, I tried to stream as much as I could on Facebook Live, which I'm real new to. And we were able to get some of that stuff out on our guy. We had our guy there, and he got, um, he got third in Masters 40 to 44 men, which is pretty, pretty awesome. impressive. Oh man, that's awesome! Um, yeah, yeah, and that's my training partner for for nine years. He he's a stud. He's a stud. So I was pretty pumped, and he did it in dramatic fashion. He was uh he was in fourth place going into the second to last event, and he got crushed, and he dropped to eighth going into the final, and he needed to win the last event to get on the podium, and he did just that. It was incredible. That's awesome. How does that um fuel you when it comes into knowing like you're in the you train people to do this you're a part of this on a day to day event and then you get to experience that being out there knowing that you have a hand in seeing people compete into this type of uh, arena. It's probably the most rewarding thing I do. It's my calling in life is to help people become the best version of themselves, and it's extremely humbling. But I would never want to steal any credit from Jason Ubaraga, who got third. He he puts the work in every damn day, and he did it for almost a decade. You talk about delayed gratification. 
which we as hunters know all about. I mean, we work all year for just a finite number of days of hunting. And uh, when you finally get to punch that tag, you know, uh, same deal with that. So, I, I mean, all credit to him because he had continuity over a decade to get to where he was at. And it was awesome. Well, so how long have you been doing CrossFit? Um, I started doing CrossFit myself in 2006, 2007. Um, before that, I was uh, their biggest critic. I thought it was stupid. Um, <laughs> I was right there. I, I, here's the thing. I was that way just probably six months ago, five months ago. Okay. So okay. I, I was in that same boat for the longest time it, just because I had the wrong information. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then um, somewhere along the line, I was in Boise, Idaho um, at the time, and I needed to create some revenue for our, the gym I was running and I wanted to have like adult classes that was kind of advanced fitness. And I actually started looking into CrossFit for workout ideas. And I am a firm believer that the coach should be able to at least go experience it before they program it. And so uh-huh. I would go do these workouts. <laughs> it started out being like maybe one CrossFit workout a week. Mm-hmm. And fast forward just a very few short weeks later, that's all I was doing. And the next thing I know, I'm paying a thousand bucks to go get crossfit level one um through their level one certificate program and that was in their early ages i was 2007 i got my level two and um instantly knew i wanted to move back home to spokane and open my own crossfit and that's what i did so did uh yeah it's, it's changed my life did you play sports like football or anything like that growing up yeah absolutely i, I was a high school guy who played sports and then um I wasn't very good as far as like moving on to college. I had one scholarship to go play baseball at Skagit Valley Community College uh, in the West Side, and it was like 500 bucks a quarter to go play ball. I turned it down and just uh, decided to go to work and um, go back into hunting. I hunted as a kid, like probably some of you guys, but when you get into junior high, high school, you don't have time to hunt because you're playing fall sports. Yep. So I kind of chose hunting over baseball and started working and hunting and have never looked back. Did, did CrossFit kind of reignite that, that kind of athletic team building fire to really get back and compete? No question. It started workout number one. I mean, yep. nobody, if you're a competitor, if you're truly a competitor, competitors like to win. They like to push themselves. You need other people alongside you, trustworthy peers, to push you. And that's what CrossFit did for me. And I basically experienced a whole new level of intensity I'd never experienced because I wasn't. You don't compete at bicep curls for time. You don't compete at military press, bench press. You just try to put up the most weight and get the biggest muscles. Um, and so, yeah, CrossFit lit a fire under me, and um, I love competing. You know, I love competing against myself and seeing what I can do uh, and what my body's, you know, where is the limit and try to find it. And that's what CrossFit allows me to do. That's awesome. That's yeah, phenomenal, man. That pretty much, uh, that's kind of what changed my opinion when I finally started taking just the pre-initiative classes and actually it was free classes. And if it wasn't for Winder, actually, if it wasn't for Scott kicking myself in the butt over and over again saying I need to try this out <laughs> and finally finding a place that would let me come in for a couple free classes I don't think I ever would have truly understood because 
I was in that many just for years. Like you got to go to the gym. You just got to do your normal workout routine. There's no reason why. And then plus thinking they're gonna you just get hurt if you go to the Julie's CrossFit stuff. But then just those free few classes, I started seeing the competitiveness in me just come out because I'm seeing these people just run a little bit harder. I'm like, dude, I can do this. I can beat him. I could. And I just it, it eat. It just ate at me. And but though I I loved how. We had, I guess there were coaches that were monitoring everything I did and realized that all the stuff I did, even in the gym, just standard, I was doing a lot of it wrong. And they were just recorrecting all my movements, making sure I was doing things. And this was my free class. I thought, dang, if I, if they're willing to put that much and they're, they're, they're ruthless. Um, (laughs) it made me very humble. Like, I cannot believe I did this for that much, that wrong, that long. And um, it, I got the bug and I, you know, I know, I know you probably seen it, but they've been those videos where it's like CrossFit, CrossFit, CrossFit. Oh my gosh. Like the morning, lunch, dinner, night, everything's all about CrossFit. I always thought that was a jokingly, you know, funny videos, but now I get it. It really does just get into your bloodstream and like, that's all you really think about. Yeah, you know, absolutely. something for me, um, you know, I, I've bow hunted for, I don't know, probably about eight years now and, and I took it up and I, and I, I kind of taught myself, picked up my dad's bow that he had since 1985, this just old uh, Horton bow that was just two cams. It, it went to shoot 20 yards, you had you felt like you were an old uh, old archer aiming up the sky. And, and I thought I knew how to shoot, and I was confident with how I shot, and I, I thought my form was great. And ironically, starting CrossFit really made me start to think about archery because I, I, I grew up playing sports. I, I, I played football from sixth grade all the way till I was, I was 28. And, and I, and I thought I knew how to do every kind of lift and I could, you know, lift a lot of weight. I started crossing and realized, yeah, I was muscling everything. I, I had no form to anything I was doing. And I was, I was holding myself back from the weights I could actually do. And that bled over in, into my archery. I realized I wasn't shooting anywhere near what I could do. Cause I never focused on form and perfecting it and really spending time learning how to do you know the movement of pulling a bow back setting your shot and focusing on it so ironically starting crossfit helped me tremendously with my mental side of, of shooting a bow do you kind of feel that or is that something that kind of happened with you as well or if you always just had that mental capacity for shooting absolutely not i complete i completely agree with what you just said because there there came a point when i was like okay i want to get to the game i want to compete on a team and i'm gonna have to video my lifts i'm gonna have to video my gymnastics my movements and break down frame by frame my faults and become more efficient because i weigh 160 on a good day i have to be so proficient at heavy loads and and barbell so i was filming myself and dissecting my movements and i'm like why don't i do this with my archery execution so then I started filming the way I shoot, really started picking myself apart. And I would geek out on CrossFit videos, you know, in, you know, instructional videos. And I'm like, why don't I geek out on my archery videos, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, they, yeah, they parallel themselves, no question. And, and I feel like the whole culture of CrossFit is constantly making yourself better. And I don't see why you wouldn't do that as a bow hunter. That's awesome. So jumping into I mean, CrossFit's phenomenal. I could sit here and talk for for an hour on CrossFit easy. Uh, and, and I'm sure there's a, a ton of our listeners that love CrossFit and are going to hit your page up and, and pro- probably try and connect with you. But on, on the hunting side of it, you know, 
we've had guys from all over the place. We've had uh, Florida, Georgia, obviously, it's where we're at. We've had a bunch yeah. of guys from different places out west. From where you're at, though, um, how's the hunting out there? What, what's, your, what's your region? What do you really go after? How are the conditions you hunt out there? Okay. Um, I live in Spokane, Washington. That's like eastern Washington. I'm a couple hours away from Canada. I'm 20 minutes away from Idaho. I'm four hours away from Seattle. Uh, we have, in my state, Washington, I don't hunt my own state very much. It's, uh, it's a tough state. You know, there's a, the seasons aren't great. Um, everything in Washington, you pretty much want to draw a tag if you're going to hunt it. Otherwise, as far as over-the-counter stuff, it's just, it's just kind of a lot of people live in this state. And, you know, um, the season sucks at the end of the day. So I've hunted Washington. (laughs) I know where I'm not moving. (laughs) Yeah. We, we don't have great dates for anything, but we do have awesome draw hunts. Um, it's, so it's managed pretty tightly. Um, so, so, and a lot of guys don't put in for Washington out of state because they make you buy your license. They make you pay the full tag up front, whether you draw it or not. And your odds are really bad. Um, it's a bonus system. So bonus points, um, mm-hmm. there's guys who have 20, 30 years worth of points and still haven't drawn tags. <clears throat> so it's just not the best state. But I, I have a, a – my dad and I bought a cabin in Idaho together for hunting, and um, we did that about seven years ago. So I think a lot of people have seen my videos. I'm um, really into bear hunting in the spring in Idaho because it is over the counter. I can buy two tags in some units, hmm. and I can hunt from April 15th to June 30th. And in one unit to July 31st for bears, I can wow. kill two bears. And I cut my teeth for years learning that, and I love bear hunting. That's one of my favorite things to do. Um, I quit turkey hunting for bear hunting, and I have nothing against turkey hunting, but once you kill a bear, you'll, you'll see what I mean. And uh, I've done it spot and stock and over bait. I have never used dogs, but I, spot and stock's my favorite, and it's totally doable where I hunt. There's a lot of logging. And so... I do a lot of bear hunting in the spring. I love the reasons behind that is just basically you're using your hunting senses, you're backpacking in, you're testing gear, you're shooting broadheads, your bow has to be tuned. There's just a lot of benefits. You're killing a big game animal, you're getting meat. Um, it's pretty cool. And then um, in the fall, I just kind of play the draw like a lot of guys do. And yeah. every year, so I don't, lottery. I don't know where I'm hunting. Yeah, I just don't ever know where I'm hunting. My backup plan is always over the counter you know, hunting Idaho elk, um, and some years Montana elk. And that's usually my backup plan. This year is, um, a decent year in drawing. I drew, I drew Nevada again. I've hunted Nevada a handful of times. So I'm going to Nevada for mule deer in August. I drew a once in a lifetime mountain goat tag in Utah, which is awesome. That's Um, awesome. Going to Utah. It's really cool. I I did not want to pay. I always want to kill a mountain goat, but I do not want to hire a guide an outfit. I just want to do it on my own. So we'll that's, talk, that's cool. Let, let's talk about that later. I got a guy who can hook you up with out in, out in Utah. Perfect. And then I got, um, over the counter stuff for elk and then I'm heading down to Arizona for late season archery. I've drawn that tag before. So I have a better idea what I'm doing there. So yeah, I'm hunting kind of all Nevada, Utah, Arizona, and Idaho. I'm going to be everywhere this year. A lot of it's uh, spot awesome. and stock. Um, you'll do a spot and stock. Um, mountain goat, don't know. I'm assuming spot and stock. We'll find out. We'll adjust on the fly. And then, um, <laughs> no, Arizona I think you just sit in a tree and I think, you know, you just have to wait. 
you, you, send, you, you send those trees that are above Alpine. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, I don't. I'll let you know how it goes. Maybe I'll bring a tree stand down, but I, I think we'll be able to get one done. Spot and stock there, and Arizona elk will be spot and stock. Um, and Idaho elk is. Um, I'll do whatever it takes. I'll sit a tree stand over water. I will have a. I'll try to call one in. I will sneak in on a herd bull. I'll I'll try all the above to whatever it takes to to kill two elk in Idaho, which is always the goal. So. Um, Man, that's awesome. Bam. Yep. You got an impressive uh, lineup for this year. That's that's uh, pretty amazing. What's thanks, man? What, what's your biggest bear you've shot? Or what what's the um, or what's the or what's the what's the best trophy you've ever taken? Because there's not a, always big. Maybe a phenomenal hunt that just sticks out to you. I have so every hunt is so memorable. I don't have one that's like oh that's the that was the hunt. Um, but anytime I've hunted Alaska, I think three or four times. Anytime you go to Alaska, it's just different. It's just a different animal. You know, there's just, there's less margin for air in Alaska. And I've done just solo do-it-yourself hunts in Alaska. Nice. Um, I've gone with a partner. I've hunted Prince of Wales for bear. Oh, I've wow. hunted, yeah, I've hunted uh, for caribou. I've hunted the Malchatna herd. I've hunted uh, the Arctic Circle up north. Um, really dig Alaska. It's, it's a game changer, but... If I had only one thing to hunt, it would just be probably public ground, over-the-counter elk. I love hunting elk that are just hard to kill. Um, sure, I would love to get a landowner or hunt private ranches and kill bigger bulls, but at the end of the day, I love over-the-counter elk hunting with a bow. It's my favorite test, if you will. Do you feel like when you're hunting and you're either having to do the spot stock, the harder the hunt is, the better gratification you have from knowing the training you've done preparing yourself like does it have a coincide between each other yeah i i think so um i mean i would love to kill a big bull opening day every year it just never seems to happen that way it's the uh, majority of my kills come later in the hunt once you kind of start to adapt and overcome obstacles and and change your tactics to whatever it needs to be um yeah those are the most rewarding hunts the ones where you know you have to keep telling yourself towards the end it stick all can it change in. in a moment's notice it can change it can change just stick with it and you know stay out in the field don't go back to camp be up at you know get back at dark and get up at dark and and grind until you basically make it happen and those are the most rewarding hunts by far you know going into when you're saying that a lot your lineup seems like you do have a lot of spot and stock uh in the books for you especially in your past when you're you have that many type of hunts going on how and knowing that uh being out there in that type of altitude that type of situation that's very taxing in the body um you know putting that in perspective in fitness for hunting for the preparation like why is that so important why is fitness the uh, leading part to make sure that you do very well uh it doesn't have as much fatigue hitting you as when you're out there that long time uh the long hunts and like what is it that, that makes fitness help in this situation well <clears throat> i'm not the best hunter uh, i'm not even close to the best hunter and so i feel like i make up for mistakes i make um miss shots not judging the wind correctly 
whatever, putting myself in the wrong position, all the mistakes I make, I feel like I can backfill with my fitness, giving myself more opportunities throughout an extended hunt. If you're a guy who's not in good as shape, I don't think you can create as many opportunities. Uh, and maybe you don't need to be in shape. You just execute when that one opportunity materializes. But for me, my fitness has been basically my ace in the hole. That's uh, something that I can kind of lean on and know that um, my mental toughness from all the hours in the gym and the discipline will create opportunities because I will just never quit until I have to leave. And that's what it takes with a string and stick, with a bow in, in, in public land, backcountry, even in just regular mountains where there's roads nearby. If you want to separate yourself from other competition and, you know, intelligent animals that have been hunted, you got to be put out there every minute, every second, because it's, you know what I mean? It's, it, sometimes it's a rat race and there's a finite number of hours in hunting season. And so you better be maximizing all those. We all have a limited amount of vacation and resources to go hunting. And, um, so it's go time and fitness has played a huge role in that. And I've never, since I started CrossFit, especially I've never been worried or concerned about fitness and I don't even backpack that much. I really don't have a backpack on very much at all. I really, I rely on CrossFit to prepare me for just about anything that the mountains can throw at me. And, uh, so yeah. Fitness is just, it's just a thing I do, and, and it pays huge dividends. Well, you know, I was thinking of, like, when I was, Scott, you might remember the guy that we spoke with, but um, I think it was an elk hunt. Uh, it was in Colorado, uh, but uh, he felt like he, the further you go out, there's people that will go not but more, maybe a mile past where they park, and that's pretty much their hunting ground. But if you're willing to go further and go where the people are not willing to go, which does require the energy, the ability, the strength uh, to last that long. And then while you're out there, have the uh, the mindset, the focus on top of it. And uh, because the further you go out, it just takes that much longer. It's that much harder. Um, you know, that does bring back into the thought of you do need to be physically fit to be able to handle that, or you're just going to be the same crowd of people around you the ones that are not willing to go where uh, the bigger bucks are, the bigger bulls. Um, so knowing fitness is a the strength building, the process to make sure that you can get out there, it allows you to be in the area where most people are not going to be. Um, when you're physically hunting um, and you're stepping back into like the training aspect, what are you preparing? Like what kind of things do you do to get you knowing that I'm going to be that much further out, I'm going to be in this type of situation, these types of terrain, like what type of exercises that you usually focus on to ensure that that's not going to affect you. Okay. Um, well, when I'm training, I spend unfortunately more time working on things I'm not good at. That's kind of what you have to do to be good at the sport of CrossFit. That's CrossFit. Um, so you don't, <laughs> that's CrossFit for you. So you, you, you know, I'm really good and I'm not trying to sound arrogant. I'm just telling you, I'm, I can tell you more things I'm bad at than I'm good at, but I'm, I excel in gymnastics. I only weigh 160 pounds. I can do muscle ups, pull ups, handstand push ups, handstand walks. I can do all the gymnastics stuff that you want for days and days. So I don't spend a lot of time doing those things. Um, pound for pound, I'm pretty strong, but when I'm compared to like other games, athletes or teams, I got to use, I got to spend my time working on a barbell 
And so I spend a lot of time doing Olympic weightlifting and compound movements like squatting, deadlifting and pressing, pushing and pulling. Um, And that's what I do for at least an hour. And I usually train for two hours. I have, I don't think anyone needs to train for two hours. I think there's people that train longer or train shorter, but I do about an hour of strength training. And then I usually do about an hour of conditioning. And I do a couple of different conditioning pieces because there's so much variety in CrossFit and you have to be good at a little bit of everything. And there's so many things that you need to mark off your list that you did that week. And so I usually try to constantly mix it up, which is the key about CrossFit is you're constantly varied. So I don't do the same thing hardly ever. I don't hardly ever do the same workout. And if I do repeat a workout, I know what time I got on it. Say I did it a year ago. I'm constantly measuring my fitness and seeing if it's going in the right direction. And I'm still getting improvement to this day. And I'm 35 now and uh, I'm still seeing results. And so that's what I do. I do constantly varied functional movements high intensity and it's pretty vague answer but it encompasses so many things from gymnastics to weightlifting to cardio or what we call metabolic conditioning i do it all and uh, i shoot my bow and i do crossfit and it prepares me for the unknown and the unknowable and i like that so something again i'm jumping back to a crossfit versus versus bow hunting or hunting in general comparison just because those are the two things i know right um Something right. that has a very, very close sim- similarity is when you're in a CrossFit workout, ex- especially if you're, if you're doing something for time, um, you're up against the clock, right? And, and you're trying to get through, so you're pushing yourself. There, there's no there's no pace yourself, right? Like especially when you're on right. a short clock. Uh, so you get to you get to the third part, the final part of that of that workout, and you have extended every bit of energy getting there. And the last one is, let's say, a, a, a heavy clean. You know, it takes it takes a mental a mental power and focus on your form to get it done. If you if you lose your form, if you lose your your mental capacity to focus on that lift, you're not going to get it done. Same thing with bow hunting. If you if you're spawn stalking an animal, you, you spotted it from the from the top of a uh, top of a ridge, and you know you you have a timeline to get in front of that animal to get to where they're moving to if you expend your energy and you get there and you lose your mental capacity and you're fatigued and you lose your your focus on your form your shot's going to be horrible you're not going to make the shot so how has crossfit kind of helped you with with that final second with getting to that moment getting there on time with the right speed and in the right time frame to put yourself in the right place how's crossfit getting ready for that last movement have to get it done just kind of settling down, focusing on your form, getting into that moment and focusing on, on that lift or, you know, hunting that shot. Yeah. I, I, I think what you're, what you're asking me, I think I can answer. I, I'm, I'm pretty certain that doing CrossFit for basically a decade now, I have been able to build an engine, if you will, that's my now. And I've built an engine and, and it's just been building upon itself for for a decade to where I can, can certainly do more and more work and less time. I'm more and more efficient and not just in my technique, but my, you know, the, the nerd stuff, like the, the physiology inside my body, the cellular makeup is able to be more efficient with less oxygen. I guess the be- I can give you an example. Okay. I thought of this. Um, 
I was in a firefighter one Academy this spring, which is kind of an off subject, but one of our things we were doing is we filled up 20 guys with, um, I don't know how much oxygen. I think we had, we had 30 minute bottles. They mm-hmm. filled us up with 30 minute bottles. They put us in turnouts, which is your firefighting gear. All that yeah. stuff weighs about 40 pounds. And we had, they had us play basketball and they wanted us to basically go until we sucked our bottles dry. And out of 20 guys, and I, and I don't know what my VO2 is, which is a volume of oxygen you can utilize while exercising. That's kind of a, a golden standard test to see how efficient and fit you are. Like, for example, on VO2, like Lance Armstrong's got a VO2 of like 96 in his heyday, which is like off the charts. Most collegiate athletes are going to roam around 50 to 60, and that's legit. Average Joes that are fit are going to be in the 40s. And if you're overweight and obese, you may be at 20 to 30 VO2 max. So VO2 max, Lance Armstrong, kind of at the highest point I've ever heard of. I, uh, I've never got my VO2 measured, but on that 30 minutes of oxygen in turnouts playing full court basketball, most of our guys were done in about 16 to 18 minutes. I was left standing there past 30 minutes. My oxygen lasted me like 39 minutes. And I only had 30 minutes of oxygen, and I give CrossFit 100% of that credit because I was playing hoops. I just think my body is so built and adapted to working hard with not much oxygen available because that's kind of the nature of CrossFit. Mm -hmm. You know, you're doing these high-intensive workouts, and oxygen levels are low, and you can either stop or you can push through. And so I feel like CrossFit's built me an amazing engine. All credit to the the methodology and the magic is in the movements and the camaraderie and the competitiveness, and uh, I can tell you, uh, I'm just I can do more with less oxygen and it pays it pays off on in the mountains when you're trying to settle a pin on your target, and I'm not huffing and puffing and if I am huffing and puffing I'm not nearly as bad as say the next guy because my body's able to utilize oxygen even when it's low. Well, that uh, brings an interesting converse, uh, topic. You know, there's people out there that you can see if you do any type of research. There's a lot of them that are using these uh, elevation training masks, um, even through like a CrossFit uh, situation. Do you think those have any place for CrossFit? Does that really help when it comes into it, well, your situation, like controlling the breath, you know, doing more, exerting more energy while not taking in as much oxygen at the same time? Yeah, I don't know. Um, I haven't used one. Um, I don't know. Okay. I could probably be con- convinced that it might have some benefits. You know, you're having, you may be forcing your, forcing the issue of less oxygen. Um, I also know that there's climbers that sleep in those tents, you know, with less oxygen and that works. But, um, I, what I do know that works is doing CrossFit and going hunting and not needing as much oxygen. And I think that's really important for guys that don't live out West that are coming out West. Um, that's going to be your ace in the hole. You're not going to get that adaptation by doing just hiking hills um, at, you know, an altitude of what or elevation of a thousand feet or less. You're, you're going to be in for a big surprise when you get and you drive up to the trailhead and you're at 10,000 feet and you got to go up, you know. Well, so, yeah, I don't know. Well, something with that. So, you know, we have listeners all over the place, but we do have a large amount of them that, you know, are sea level guys. Uh, that are going after whitetail, going after bear, 
but their thing is they they want to go out and they want to chase they want to chase elk they want to chase muleys they want to chase uh, whitetails that are in high high elevations like out in Colorado. Uh, if you can kind of describe a a normal hunt out there from when you get out of the truck and you hike in uh, to when you're walking out, what's the elevation and the miles that you're kind of covering over that you know one two three you know all the way to ten days? Some of these hunts are okay. Well, I'm headed to Nevada here shortly, probably in a couple weeks, mm-hmm. and I live at about 20 to 2,500 feet, not very high. Um, I do have mountains that I can see out my door that are top out around five, so I don't live very high, but I'm going to drive from Spokane down to Nevada. Once I get real close to the Idaho-Nevada border, I'm going to be at five or 6,000 feet, and I'm going to be in the desert, so it's high desert. Um, and then these mountains are going to be shooting up out of this high desert. So you're going to be like, wow, that mountain's high. But if you checked your altimeter, you'd be like, oh, my gosh, I'm already at five, 6,000 feet, and I'm in the desert floor. Um, yeah. And then you're gonna, I'm going to pull up to the trailhead. Um, and Nevada is pretty special because I think it's like 85% public land. There's just not a lot going on, but awesome hunting in Nevada. I'm going to roll up to the trailhead, and I'll be right at the valley floor, around probably anywhere between five and 6,000 feet. And I'm going to hike until I'm at the top and the top's going to be 8,500 to 11,000 feet. And I'm going to camp up high and I'm going to hope that I can find water, um, on my maps because that's going to be, that's going to make a break my hunt. Um, Mm -hmm. and my research shows that I got a couple options for water. So that's huge. Um, in Colorado, there's good water just about anywhere, which is, nice you don't want to pack in water but there's places in nevada where you got to hike in water and that's just it's just hard to hunt and thrive but um just getting there um you really when you're doing an out west hunt like that like even a guy like me who's seasoned who's done many high country hunts you should see my office right now i like literally have a scale i'm weighing every little thing i'm trying to upgrade gear for example i just upgraded my water filter i had a msr pump that probably weighed just over two pounds I got that down to four ounce Sawyer and uh, a platypus gravity system. I'm trying to cut weight because everything you pack in is so critical. So if you're just a normal guy who's like, oh, I'm 10 pounds overweight, I'll be fine. Shame on you. You could drop those 10 pounds and be so much better because every pound, every ounce adds a pound. Pounds are going to add fatigue and recovery is going to be slow. So here I am, pretty fit guy, and I'm weighing and geeking out. I'm trying to get all my food that I'm going to carry in to be, you know, very high-dense foods, 120, 130 calories per ounce. I mean, so just keep in mind, I'm trying to go in with the lightest pack possible. I wear an XO mountain pack. That thing only weighs four pounds. I mean, I'm shifting gear constantly, trying to evolve to make my system as light as possible. And then you hike all the way up there, and then you have a decision to make. Are you going to spike camp hunt or are you going to bivouac hunt? Are you going to have all your camp on your back and hunt, which is probably the most effective way to hunt, but it's also the most physically challenging because you have always 40 to 50 pounds on your back, even when you're making a stock, because that's your mm-hmm. camp, that's your gear. Um, I generally like to do spike camps. I like to um, find places that I can wake up in the morning and get out of my tent and start glassing. Um, I don't like spike camps where I have to hike a long ways to go glass. Um, and then you, in those areas, you're just moving from basin to basin. And these basins are all tied into one big ridge, maybe a nice edge ridge. And you're just going to run ridges, 
setup shop and you're going to glass, 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 and just cover as many basins until you find what you're after. Um, and you got to be prepared for other hunters and um, inclement weather. There's going to be storms. There's going to be adversity. You're going to get tested. You're going to maybe run out of water, run out of food. Um, you're going to maybe miss. I mean, there's so much... <laughs> Everything that can go wrong could possibly go wrong, but you're going to do that day in and day out. And, um, you know, you have to be like for this hunt, I have four different areas that I have and I've never hunted there by the way. So I've had to rely on Google earth, talking to friends, buying maps, buying more maps. And, mm -hmm. uh, one thing I just did that I don't know if this is, it's worth sharing. I have four areas and I figured out how to film myself on my computer going over Google Earth. So I'm just screen recording my Google Earth for these areas. And they're only three or four minute videos, but I Dropbox them to my phone. And so I have four, four videos on my phone that shows me the overlays of the areas I'm going. Plus I have an Onyx Maps chip for Nevada. So I got my GPS topo. That's kind of nice. And, uh, that's awesome. It's next level. It's next level <laughs> stuff, but that's what it takes to be good out West is I think you just have to cover, do, be a gear nerd, you have to be a little OCD, and you have to try to think of everything, and you better find some good resources out there, listen to some good podcasts, and get some good information, and get those nuggets, and, and that's what that hunt's going to be like, you know, I'm going to be hiking anywhere from probably three to five miles a day, and uh, I'm going to be very cognizant of where water's at, and um, I'm going to be very patient, I'm not going to try to stock if a deer is patternable, it's killable. And I really like to like sit on bucks and pattern them for a few days and try to get a feel for, for where they may make a mistake. I rarely make a stock when I first see a buck. So it's a waiting game and it's patience and you have to be fit and you're, it's going to be hard and it's going to be worth it. You know, looking why, at, why? Oh, go ahead, Travis. I was going to say, when you're talking about the glassing, uh, how, when you start glassing on a given time, how often, do you glass? And during those frequencies, uh, how long is the gap between? It's like if you're starting to glass, how long do you usually do that before you pick up and move on to another location and glass more? Okay, that's a good question. Um, I don't know if I have a, a rule that I follow. It seems like in Nevada, no matter where I go, I'm going to see deer. But um, I will, depending on the time of day, but I like first light. I like to glass at first light. You can pick them all up, especially in August. Their coats are real bright. You'll pick up deer real fast. I like to glass in comfort. So in, on this trip, I'm not bringing a spotting scope. I'm not, I'm not concerned with deciding to go after a buck that's 176 or 182. That's not me. I'm looking for something that's just that I like and I want to shoot. Um, so I'm bringing like 20 by 56 Kaibabs from Vortex. I'm going to put them on a tripod and I'm going to get really comfortable and I'm going to glass for quite a few hours until I think I've seen every deer in that drainage of that basin, which is realistic for the most part. It is. Um, you, you, you can get yourself in a spot where you can turn up every buck. When it gets hard is when maybe you glassed a basin all morning, you went through all the deer and you didn't see what you were after and you got to move basins. And now you got to go grid and try to find an ear or a tail of a mule deer in a yep. new base because they're all bedded. And you got to try to find areas where the sun's going to hit, where a buck's going to get up and re-bed during the day. So it just depends on the time of day. But if you're in the morning, you should set up shop. You should be able to glass a basin with good optics or the most best optics you can afford. And do it on a tripod if you can. And 
and you should be able to pick up everything you're after. Uh, if you're into a basin and it's midday, you've got your work cut out for you, but I'm not going to go back to camp and take a nap or I'm not going to, I'm going to glass. I'm going to hunt every hour I can and, and try to create opportunity. So, um, well, but if you've never glassed on tripod, it's really, it's the only way to go. Something you said that I, I think really leans towards some of our listeners is you've never hunted this area before. This is, this is simply something that you've picked out four areas. It's brand new. You've done the research on it. How did you come up with those four areas? When because you you drew tags for for this area, right? Yeah. Or is this so a, I drew or is this a tag. A, okay. So I how did you narrow down? Area. Okay, um, it's a, it's a pretty big area in Nevada. I have, and I'll say where I'm going because I don't really care about mule deer that much. Um, I do, but it's something to hunt. But I love my passion's elk hunting. But I'm going in the 161 to 164. In Nevada, it's the right in the middle of the state. It's got great elk numbers. Um, I also belong to um, GoHunt.com, and I, yeah. I'm not sponsored by them. I paid the money. I really, uh, I think it works. I drew a mountain goat tag, you know what I mean, with eight points. Uh, they do a good job of it, basically educating you on where your best opportunities are, hunting pressure, hunting numbers, buck-to-doe ratios, bull-to-cow ratios, harvest success. So I study their stats. And they're all really legit. That helps. Um, they have a good article. Um, I think it's public article on what to do once you've drawn a tag. And that guy, spell, I think Brady Miller is his name. He spells out what to do. He does a great job. Uh, and I've done a lot of stuff off that article. I've contacted the biologist, contacted the people who've hunted there. That's going to be huge. That's going to be huge. That's the first thing is you've got to get, if you can't get boots on the ground, you've got to get resources, people that have been there, and get the inside scoop. And you got to find people that you trust. And I've found that most biologists are really helpful. Um, went on Google Earth and just kind of looked for a couple things. One, water. Mm-hmm. I need water. Deer need water in the story. So I find water. I'm looking for um, seeps. I'm looking for areas where the, the undulation and the terrain and the topography and the growth, the greenery, you can just tell – there's water there or those things aren't going to grow there. Yep. You know what I mean? So I found water areas that I can get water. And then I look, I do 360s and I get on Google Earth and I find areas that I can have vantage points to glass from and places that I can hike ridges and glass several basins or drainages without much effort. That's really important mm-hmm. to me. I'll even go down to the trailhead and see if there's any cars parked when they took the pictures and believe it or not, I ruled one out because there was like nine trucks at that trailhead. I'm like, I'm not going there. So I want to get away from. Nice. I want to get away from people. I spent about a hundred bucks worth of maps, ranging in sizes, all topography, so I can have real close detailed of what I'm at. And I know I'm going to bring those maps with me. And I have, like I said, I have my Onyx chip. So it's all public land where I'm going, but I still like to have that chip so I can really pull up the terrain features and know right where I'm at. So mm-hmm. that's kind of what I start doing. And then, like I said earlier, I don't know if anyone's ever done that before. I'm sure they have, but I thought it was a good idea videoing my screen as I went through Google earth and then sending it to my phone and uh, just an iPhone. And I just sent it to my phone. And now I have four videos I can watch when I'm in the field. And well, um, it's a really yeah. good idea. Yeah. Yeah. I've never tried it before, but I like it <laughs> and it makes sense to me. So, 
Well, that's so, kind of what like I did. Is ma- maps. Yeah, ma- maps is where it's at, and studying and having at least four or five places to check out. And if you can talk to somebody who's hunted there and they don't want to give you their honey holes, that's cool. Just maybe find out. Say, hey, man, just tell me where I don't need to go. If you can just figure out where you're not going to waste your time, that's going to be huge. Where'd you get your your maps from? I knew you were going to ask me that. Um, <laughs> mytopo.com. Okay. They're out of Montana. Um, their maps are reasonable. Uh, and I got a couple different sizes, but um, mytopo.com, not the best price, but they ship them fast, and uh, I've already studied them quite a bit. There you go. You know, knowing I've been following you for a while, we met – uh, one time at uh, a long time ago, I think it was maybe 2011. That's not really that long, but long enough. Uh, it was at a bow, bow cast at the bird, I believe. Awesome. Um, yeah, awesome. in fact, that was the first. I think you were hosting a an event there as well. You and I were getting a really good talk. Through the years, I've seen you progress in a lot of different things. You were doing videos for Hoyt. You were doing, but you're, it seems to be you're a new father. Is that correct? Yeah, I am. I have a two year old daughter. Congrats. And I have awesome. a six-week-year, thank you, and six-week-old son, and those are my game changers. Yes, they are. So. <laughs> well, I, as myself, I have a, a two-year-old son, so we're kind of in that same boat. And, but and because you do have a CrossFit gym, you're obviously at the gym quite, I would assume, uh, pretty often, but you also are hunting, you're married, and you have kids. Now, going into that aspect, for someone that does have a child as well, how have you handled the uh, the relationship between all of them and keeping a uh, insanity or yeah keep insanity keeping yeah, the, yeah keeping you sane enough to be able to handle you know a strong relationship between your you and your family the connection between your business and your own personal goals and fitness focusing on health uh, for the, the hunting aspect where you're going to go the longevity of time that you're going to be spending out how do you take all this in and taking it one step at a time but how do you handle all that in a, a healthy way how do you balance everything because that's a lot man. that is a whole lot that's the million dollar question friend i don't know <laughs> i uh, don't know i i'm if you know me i'm really honest i'm really whether it's harsh or considered just brutal probably a little bit of both i just tell it how it is and the truth of the matter is it's like my wife is amazing but even if she's that amazing, I swear every year she's so close to divorcing me sometimes because <laughs> I'm selfish. <laughs> to be a bow hunter and be successful, you have to be selfish. You have to, and I, and I struggle with this a little bit. I mean, I want to be out there as much as I can. I never get tired of it. It doesn't, it just, it's just my thing. You guys understand what I'm saying because you are as passionate as I am. You just... It, you feel so alive and you love the test and you feel so blessed to have bow hunting in your life. On the flip side, you're leaving your wife. She's got a, my wife works as a nurse. She's going to be, uh, she's got six month or six week year old and a two year old to take care of, which I can't even really take care of both of them by myself for very long without losing my mind. And she's got to do that for, <laughs> for 10 days. Isn't that crazy? You could do a hunt that's so taxing. You can handle all this stuff with the mental fatigue and going through with not a problem. Yet two kids, it will drain you in a day. <laughs> Absolutely. So, I mean, she's awesome. She, she. I told her when we first started dating that I hunted a lot. And before we got married, she got to see what a season likes for me. 
And she basically finally realized that I'm never not doing something for hunting. That's what she finally realized after a few years. She's like, brought it up when we're fighting. It's like, hunting never stops. It's either you're elk hunting, you're whitetail hunting, you're, and you're going to shows, hunting shows, and then you're shed hunting, and then you're bear hunting, and then you're scouting, and it just never ends. And so if you can conclu- include your family and what you do outdoors, you're going to be, because she just wants to spend time with me. That's all she wants. Alicia just wants to spend time with her husband, and that's awesome. Um, she doesn't share the same passion I have for hunting. So I have to figure out and be creative ways to go on hikes and check trail cameras or go pick huckleberries and go check the trail cameras or get my ass up really early, go get my glassing done, and get back before they're awake. Um, and it's just, it's just harder on me, but it's really better for our relationship if I sacrifice sleep and so I do that at the gym. I have an awesome team that works for, works hard. They they all have been with me for years and years. They understand that I'm not around in September, and they run the gym for me. I try to do something special for them, and that's a balancing act. And and if in between hunts, I, I rush home, I pay bills, I answer emails, I put out fires, and then I go back out there. And uh, I'm just like a normal guy. I'm trying to figure out how to do it, too. I don't have a right answer for you. It's hard. That's for and sure. we lean on our faith. <laughs> and uh, we, we, you know, it's, it's, it's a work in progress. So um, this year is going to be a real test with two kids. And uh, luckily, my hunts are kind of spread out. It's, but September's never spread out. I, I honestly. No. That September's I will quit a jo- <laughs> I will quit a job to go hunting. Uh, even with responsibilities and mortgages and leases, I will quit to go hunting because life is short and I'm going to be hunting. And that's just who I am. And I'm okay with that. I just need everyone around me to understand that this, I love them, and, but this is who I am and this is what I'm made of and this is what I'm going to do. This is, what I got, this is just what I got to do. Well, Does think, that make sense? Oh, no, I totally agree. I, what the cool part is with the, now the technology is getting so advanced and you know, the ability to connect the FaceTime allows you to, if you are out and there is some sort of signal, you have that option to be able to say, hey, how's it going? Given that, that brutal connection between uh, the moment you're gone, but you're still not necessarily fully gone because you could say, hey. Yeah, definitely. Technology is awesome. I embrace it. But yeah, man, if you guys got any insight, let me know. I'm constantly wondering how can I make things better at home because I am gone a lot. No, I've uh, I was impressed. Um, I, that's why I was asking. And fun, ironic part is that I do have one child. I have been married. Scott happens to just recently gotten married, and with someone oh, yeah. that is in the not necessarily. I guess you would say it's a medical field because she's going to be a a, a chiropractor soon. Um, in a couple yeah. years, right? Yeah. So he, he's dealing with that, but he hasn't had a kid yet, but he's got that first initiative now, even though he's been dating, everything's all been sweet. Now they're married. It's a totally different game shift. Now with the time you're going to be spent, she's okay. Cause he's in, or oh, she's no. in school, I'll, I'll, but there's still you, that I'm, extra level. I'm the luckiest guy in the world. And I will say that hands down. And that's not to, you know, you know, blow her head up any, any more than it is with, she's going to be a doctor. She's smart. She's phenomenal. But this is the first time, uh, you know, I dated girls in the past, and, and if and my my term that everyone always hated was, "Hey, I'm heading to the property," and that was like the signal of like they would just get all mad. Uh, 
she is totally cool with it. It is the first time I've ever been with someone, hence why I married her as quickly as I could. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yes. Like, she, she, she's in school, studying her butt off, working hard, and, you know, I don't have kids. We've got two dogs, and, like, to me, that's a handful, so I can't imagine having two kids by by any means. But she's she's okay. You know, I've 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 hunted and Travis, you know, me and Travis can both test this. The first property we hunted together was horrible. In two years, <laughs> I saw one deer. He shot a few. I shot uh, seven. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, few, was, right? yeah. <laughs> I, I so so That's in a few. Two, well in, in the first two years and, and I attribute that to, you know, my patience with hunting, you know, two years he he shot seven deer. And I saw one the, the entire time and, and that helped. But so now this is the first season I'm on a, a really, really good property uh, with a couple guys that don't really hunt that much. I, I, I pretty much have the property myself with, uh, you know, 125s all the way to maybe about 160 whitetail. And Jess, uh, my, my wife, she's like, you know what? go for it she's like i'm in school you know as long as we we talk about when when the dogs are me cool we're we're fine just go so she's like during the rut i get it you're gone for five days opening opening weekend i get it you're gone for four days so i said you know what let's get married (laughs) (laughs) good job buddy yep Oh, we'll we'll see we'll see how that changes. Uh, yeah, once the there's a kid right and once now, he's done, be like, "Oh, where are you at now? Oh, you're going where? No, <laughs> I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna use it while I can and go hunting because it, it really is. You know, you talked about it. Um, you know, I I love hunting. You know, I I, I love bow hunting, and it's not it's not the kill, and it's 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 mostly just being able to get out in the woods, try and figure out what's going on, the peace and quiet away from the hustle and bustle of everything going on in your entire life. It's that time for you to just kind of relax and zone in on, on something you love to do. And it's, and, and it's what I love to do. It's what, you know, I know Travis does. I know you do. And, and a ton of our listeners, they just like that time, whether it's a kill or not, you know, tag sandwich or, or going home uh, with, with a pack loaded down and hiking out, you know, it's just the experience, the, the addiction to getting out there and seeing if you can outsmart where you're going after that. That's the thrill of it, right? Yep. Well, man, I know with the, uh, fitness wise, you know, kind of going back into the element of, uh, trying to, to get people into fitness people. If we're 30 days where we're at, we're about 30 days or 45 days out until the season starts for us. And there are people that have already been working out, been you know training, getting into the proper form, uh, dialing in their bow, but they're still lacking in that one element, which is their themselves in fitness or just a way where they can do these type of activities more efficiently. And um, for someone that's coming in late, trying to, okay, I'm going to do it now. I'm going to start tomorrow. You know, what would you think would be the most efficient thing they could do? Uh, even for someone that's just going to be sitting in a tree stand that maybe has a mile at most to walk, but getting them, if they're not that physically fit, to get them into one step closer so they can be a little bit better. Yeah. Um, well, for the tree stand guy, even just getting some endorphins in your bloodstream and getting breaking a sweat every day, I think that's going to make you feel better, have more energy, and probably be a better predator while you're in the tree. Higher alert level, and you might enjoy it a little bit more. Um, for anybody like going on a bigger hunt, like when I say bigger, I mean just 
something a little more physical or maybe you're going elk hunting, it's never too late to just start weighing and measuring your food and trying to track calories or track your protein or how much water you're drinking or how many vegetables you're eating throughout the day and see if you can really, I mean, if you really can work on your nutrition, I think you can lose some of those unwanted pounds pretty fast. That's going to be your fastest way. And then obviously if you exercise on top of that, that's going to help. If you don't um, have an area that you can hike with a pack on, then just put, load up your pack right now and just before you go to bed, just go walk around your neighborhood for 20 minutes at different intervals. Uh, interval training will help you basically spike your heart rate. Interval training is just kind of mixing and matching your levels of effort. You know, crank it up into the fastest walk you can and then maybe the next block, cool it down a little bit and just try to do some like what is known as fartlek or interval training, just real random mm -hmm. training intervals. Um, but there's no substitute for a backpack. Um, you don't have time to build an engine like, you know, for, through CrossFit for a decade. That's not going to happen overnight. Um, so your best bet to throw a pack on and start simulating what you're going to be doing, you know, hiking and shooting uh, and find some sand hills, do some sprints, go to a track, go to a stadium, weigh and measure your food and get some, get some endorphins in your bloodstream. Basically change your physiology by what you eat. What you eat is what you become and just add more fruits and vegetables and cut out the crap, no fast food, plan and prepare your meals. I mean, these are just real generic tips, but they, if you do them, they're going to work. And I, I mean, if you could just take five pounds off your body in the next 30 days, that's five pounds you don't have to hike around and you don't have to hunt your way into shape. And I just think you'll have more enjoyable experience and possibly create even more opportunity when you're in the field. Looking at something uh, just on the technical side, because, you know, you're a successful hunter, you know, hands down easy. How how tall are you? How tall am I? I'm 5'6". All right. So with that, what's your draw length? 27 inches. And that's something. And the reason why I bring that up is, you know, so I'm, I'm 5'8", and, and I'm 27 and a half inch draw. And you talk to all these guys you are talking about, you know, speed. And, and, and a lot of that comes from talking to guys who are shooting, you know, 30, 30 inch draws. And they're getting, you know, that much longer arrow, that much, that much longer swing on, on their shot. Um, but you're successful, you know, at shooting a, shooting a 27 inch draw. What's your bow setup? Are you worried about speed? Are you terminal impact? What do you do that kind of zones that out and you kind of forget about, you know, everything that someone says, oh, you've got to be super fast. You got to go, you have to have a long arrow. You got to have a ton of terminal impact and get all that in one. Are you worried more about just that terminal impact and making the right shot no matter what the speed? Yeah, I don't, I don't geek out too much on my setup. I do have, in my opinion, a sick setup. Um, but <laughs> the I don't, one thing, the one I don't, thing, you, the, the one thing you don't geek out on is your bow setup. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I don't feel like I stress out. Like, I don't know what my bow is shooting right now. I don't know the speed coming out. So I'm not a speed freak. I don't, I haven't shot a chrono. I haven't, I don't care. I, don't, I could give a shit about what, how fast my arrow is. I always order my Hoyt every year. I order it with the longest brace height. I feel like that's the first place I want. I always have I don't want to shoot a six-inch brace height. I think the bows have come a long ways with those, those speed mm -hmm. bows. But yeah. at the end of the day, I, I want that extra inch. So I like seven-inch brace height. That's what um, she said. I think, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hoyt, <laughs> I think Hoyt makes the toughest bows out there. I'm really hard on my equipment, really hard on them. Um, so I feel confident that my bow is going to 
be able to withstand a beating. Um, as far as like arrows and stuff like that, I mean, I am a bow hunter, so I do. I guess I am a little bit neurotic. I weigh all my arrows. Uh, I spin them. I flesh them myself. I add weight up front for front and center. I shoot um, shuttle T broadheads. I feel like they fly really good for me. If they're not what, hitting what, where my fill, what's that? What broad? What broadhead? They're called shuttle T locks from Trophy Taker. Okay. Um, they're definitely. I've used them for years and years and years. I'm a fixed broadhead guy, um, all the way. And to do that, you got to be a little picky about your setup as far as tuning. I feel mm-hmm. like I need to shoot through paper. I try to shoot through paper about once a month, um, just to double check everything. Um, there's a lot of working pieces of a compound bow and I shoot a lot. So I do that, um, and put it in a draw stop, check for, you know, timing and any cam lean. Um, and so, yeah, I'm pretty particular on what's on my bow. Everything's there for a reason. I run a Quivalizer from Trophy Taker, which is pretty hip. It's my first year with that. And that is a, um, basically a quiver that you can put on the side or you can put it out front like a stabilizer. And um, anything I can do to make my hunting rig closer to a target archery setup, I feel like the better. And so mm-hmm. I've really gone that route. Um, I do shoot um, a four-pin slider. So I like fixed pins up close, 10, 20, 30, 40. And then from there, I slide out with a single-pin slider. Um, and with the trophy taker option that I shoot, option four, I can flip out my fixed pins. And so there's no pins blocking my sight my picture can be a single pin or i can flip it back and it can be fixed pins and a slider if that makes any sense if you haven't awesome. seen that go check that site out it's pretty next level it's got every adjustment you could want and third axis is something that's pretty important for yep. hunting out west because you're going to be taking some as you know you did steep, both at the bird steep, you took those shots steep shots you got to have that third axis doped and um yeah, I mean, it's just evolving every year. But at the end of the day, I want something forgiving, something that's tough, um, and something that I shoot well. And so um, that's what I do. The the biggest thing, I, I because I asked this question to, to quite a number of the guys that we have come on, but the biggest thing I want to try and get across to listeners is, you know, you don't have to have the most up-to-date bow, the most up-to-date everything, the top of the line this, top of the line that. If you're comfortable with your bow and you're comfortable shooting it, shoot it. It's, it's going to work for you. Don't try and overextend yourself and get the best everything in the world. Don't change everything, you know, every every season. If you're comfortable shooting it, stick with it. If it, if it, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? Amen to that. And I get a message or two almost on the daily about which should I shoot this Bowtech or shoot this Matthews or should I shoot this Hoyt or whatever brand. And I always reply with, go shoot them all blindfolded and pick the one that felt the best for you. Um, and obviously I shoot for Hoyt. I love Hoyt. I want everyone to shoot a Hoyt, but at the end of the day, I want you to shoot the bow that shoots the best for you. And, uh, that's, that's just, that just means going to the shop and shooting them all, you know? Yeah. Putting the time in. Are are there any local yeah. shops up by you that, that you recommend or that you spend your time at? Yeah, I only go to one. It's Spokane Valley Archery. Um, the guy is Josh Jones, who owns it. I've known him for over a decade. He's the, uh, He's got an awesome crew. And uh, the guys, he, you know, he, I take my bow to them. Um, they let me go behind the counter and work on my bow. 
I'm always trying to learn everything from how to tie a peep in to, you know, I order new strings every year. I get custom strings. I want to put them on myself. Um, I watch them set up the rest, where to put it, the burger button. I mean, I'm trying to learn as much as I can. We talked about this earlier about how CrossFit makes you want to geek out and learn every aspect. Same thing with Archer. I want to know my my setup. I want to know all the working pieces. I want to know where my cams are supposed to be. And, um, yeah, I mean, because a lot can go wrong on a bow. Uh, very quickly. You just – very quickly, and you could work so hard for one-shot opportunity, and it could all go to shit because something stupid went wrong that you could have prevented or you should have learned about your bow. So um, I've watched – I've seen everything happen to a bow. And, and my dad, my poor dad, I've seen everything happen wrong to his bow. I've seen him <laughs> melt <laughs> – I could go down a laundry list, but the top two of my favorite ones was he had a, he's got a Bowtech uh, boss or something. It's a huge axle axle bow. I don't even know. It's just so big. He put in his backpack. We hunt off dirt bikes. We get to the top of the mountain and I'm like, Hey, you're calling for me today. And he's like, no, I'm not. And I'm like, well, look at your bow. And he had melted the string right off, off the exhaust of his dirt bike. It's such a long axle. Yeah. Oh, wow. no. Jeez. Absolutely. Oh I've also God. seen him on a, on a gnarly single-track dirt bike trail that we were hunting off of. I don't know how, but he, the trail was so bad he wrecked, he somehow knocked his string off the, you know, right off the cable. Like, the cable came off, and so we're on the top of the mountain. It's just getting light, elk are bugling, and he's, he can't do anything. His, his strings are off. He needs a press right there. And, uh, I've seen uh, little Allens come loose on his cam <sighs> and it, on his Bowtech. And then all of a sudden he's like, why am I shooting 40 yards high, you know, on a 20 yard <laughs> shot? Um, you know, so all that stuff is just, unfortunately the devil's in the details when it comes to, so you have no choice, but to kind of be a geek about your rig, your system, your setup and, and double check everything. I'm going to nerd out right before I leave. I'm going to go down, have the guys, I'm going to shoot through paper one more time. I'm going to have everything tightened up, loosened, like check for anything loose, any problem spots. And uh, it's just something you have to do. You learn as you evolve as a bow hunter that you just have to control the controllables. Well, after you go down, will you come back on and talk about some of the hunts and the experiences you had? I would love to share everything, all my failures and hopefully successes. Hey, I hope all the successes, man. Yeah, definitely. Well, you know, thinking right at the very end, if someone wanted to reach out, because I've been following you for a while, and you have a lot of great information out there that you put out freely, which is great. Uh, how? What would be the best way someone to follow you or to reach out, even if it, they want, if they live in your area, how would they find out the location of your gym? But to even online, like how do they stay up to date with who you are and what you do? Okay. Um, well, I'm. I'm not a huge Facebook guy, so if you send me a message there, I, I may not get back to you in time. But uh, I, I am intentional about um, Instagram. I try to kind of post my life there, um, and that's uh, at Dan the Fitness Man on Instagram. As far as like content or videos or learning, I do have a YouTube account, and I try to put a couple of videos up a month. And that's um, YouTube is uh, Elk Shape is the name of that one. So, and I also have a website called ElkShape.com where I basically use it as a training journal for what I do for workouts or shooting. And I do it for myself to hold myself accountable. And, and I have any article I've ever written for any magazine there. And so just kind of a landing page for, Hey, this is the gear I use. This is the workouts I do. Here's some of the articles I've written. 
and then they they can watch geek out on some YouTube videos, and uh, that's where you can find me pretty much. Nice, All man. Right. That's awesome. Um, are you going to be by chance at the the ATA coming up in 2017? Yep, yep. I usually go. To, I haven't missed one in nine years, so yeah, nice. I'll be there. Are you guys going to be there? Yeah, we'll we'll be there. Yeah, we're gonna try to step cool. it up and do a little different things that we uh, that we didn't do last season, but uh, or this season. But uh, I think it'd be kind of neat to maybe reach out to you again and um, you know, while we're there and meet up in person. I would love it. Um, Cameron Haynes and I usually do a workout a couple times, so you should definitely come do that. We'll go out to breakfast afterwards and then nice. go to the show, and that's something I look forward to every year. It's a lot of fun. So I get to oh, uh, I get to uh, potentially get my butt kicked in a more <laughs> humbly way. Uh, I'll have to make sure to make sure we film this because uh, it will probably be a very laughing stock for for definitely for me for sure. But uh, yeah, it was. No, be, it's, it's a good I'll, time. Oh no, I'll be right there. That that guy. He's in shape. How how old is he? He's he's forty something. Uh, I think Cameron's coming up on fifty. Yeah, I thought Holy. he was forty seven, but yeah, he, I, wow. 50. Holy, yeah, that that's that's gonna be humbling no matter what because that that dude. Can he's rock. a running machine. <laughs> yeah. If he if he wants uh, to go running, it's gonna it's not gonna be fun. He's really really good at running. It's obviously and he's doing um a two hundred miler coming up. So I don't even know what that I don't even know what that means. But he's running two hundred miles. For in a race, and he's—I think yeah. he's paying to do this. He's, he's crazy. He's paying. He's paying to go run two hundred miles. That's oh, yeah. awesome. Yes, that guy's insane. Do you do you have a yeah, pretty good relationship really, with Cam? Um, yeah, I do. I—I I mean, we don't—we're not buds and call each other every day, and but uh, we're like the guys that pick up where we left off. He wrote the forward to my That's book. Uh, my book's called Train to Hunt. The backstory on that is I started Train to Hunt with Kent and Claremont, so I had the the book written before we did Train to Hunt events, but the mm-hmm. book. I asked Cameron to forward it. He did that. That was huge. And we've always kind of done workouts together. Whenever we've um, been at ATA, we've done Bow Hunter Magazine TV. We did the fitness segment together on that. So I've been, you know, yeah, I've known Cameron for years. And that's um, awesome. Mad risk. for anyone who hates on him. It's just really, I, I, I don't even know where you're coming from. He's just one of the hardest working guys, and I love everything. He he's very positive. And I like to be around positive people. So he's really, for me, enjoyable to be around when oh, we yeah. get to do that every year. I, I don't see how anyone can hate on that guy. Like, it, even even anti-hunters, like his persona and how he how he distributes what he does hunting-wise, how can you even hate on that guy? You, you can't. <laughs> well, hate is like cancer in your brain. So if you're yep. doing that, you're, you're not doing yourself any favors. No, no, not a bit. Um, when did you start trying to hunt? When when did that first come to fruition? That was 2011. That's what we were talking about earlier. Was uh, our very first train to hunt challenge was uh, at Bowcast at the Bird. Uh, at the time, Anthony Dixon and Sean Munson were were running Bowcast at the Bird, and Anthony's like, yeah. "Dude, come down and do your event." And we had started the website. We were doing workouts for hunters, um, and that was the first time. So we started in 2011. I wrote that book about a year before that. And then we, that kind of sparked the idea. We liked the name. And Kent and Claremont mm-hmm. and I were business partners on Train yeah. to Hunt and the gym. Um, we're still friends, but in 2013, he we just decided it would be best for both of us to focus on one thing each. And so I focused on the gym. He focused on Train to Hunt. We're still yeah. friends, and it's all good there. But I really like what he's done. He really likes what I've done. And uh, I think it's made it's made a, it's been a good thing. But I really like the Train to Hunt challenges. I think people should go do them. I think – 
they're um, a great way or a great tool to have a goal to train for. And when you go and do them, you're, you're making yourself better. And it's really specific towards bow hunting. I love it. And you're going to meet awesome people. Kenton's a good dude. You're going to love it. So yeah, We actually had a guy, was it Phil Mendoza? Didn't he, yeah. he won yeah. one of the challenges. Phil, Phil's out yeah, of uh, Phil's... No, no, limits, no Limits Archery. That's, that's my old shop, yeah. Oh, that is? Okay, yeah. So Phil's a good friend of mine, and he's a stud. He's the real deal. That guy's insane. We actually, uh, on beginning of next week, uh, Aaron Nielsen's coming on with us. Oh, right on. Yeah, so uh, the, uh, No Limits Archery. I mean, that's I've been to a lot of shops. That's one that is just... It's 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 really cool. Like you have a, you have a group of just I mean you have so many youth shooters that come in there, but then you have this this group of kind of that you know late thirties early forties shooters who are just hunt their butts off and they're and they're phenomenal archers. And so you get this group of guys that just uh, talks. Did you meet? Um, well, Aaron Snyder goes there. He's a stud. Yeah. Uh, Santino Castellanos. He's yep. a really good friend of mine. There's just some studs there, and what a culture to have. I mean, iron sharpens iron, and that's just a good community. That's kind of like the idea behind CrossFit is you get all these good athletes in one spot, it's only going to make you better. Same with the archery shop. If you can find a core group of dudes that are just going to push you to find out everything you're capable of, I mean, that's ideal. I'm jealous. That's cool. I, I think yeah. that's awesome. Between Anthony Dixon and No Limits Archery, those are the two really things that kind of – changed but the, the, i mean honestly those are the two that really made me focus on 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 archery and perfecting my form i used to work uh, i did a couple workouts with uh anthony's wife at her had her gym her box out in uh salt lake uh brick wall crossfit yes. and he we start talking about crossfit and kind of what she went through in her her mental process of 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 lifting and anthony's like i get it i just don't know where the cross is and we start talking about crossfit and i went to no limits archery and it kind of that was that that was that aha moment this is how i need to focus on perfecting and, and, and getting better at, at shooting archery and shooting a bow yeah it's, it's i'm telling you Definitely. this industry especially out west super small like it is it is this group of people that no matter where you go you run into someone you know or someone you shot with or someone that hunted with one of your buddies and, and everyone's connected out there yeah, it's a small community. It's a niche community. Um, mm -hmm. Everybody knows everybody. That's for sure. Oh yeah. And if if you want to know really someone, how, met, how to, I was gonna say I haven't really met a bad bow hunter. Like it is so cool meeting bow hunters. We all come from the same cloth or some some common thread that just keeps us. We all just I don't know. I really haven't met any bad bow hunters out there. That's mm -hmm. pretty cool. Well, man, uh, you know, thank you so much for you know, yeah. taking the time because I know you got your family. I think I can hear them in the background, but uh, thank you for taking the time, giving us some of your insight because it's definitely fascinating. And I would love, like Scott was saying, we'd love to hear the successes that you have uh, in this uh, upcoming hunting season. Oh, perfect! 100%. Yeah, well, let's, let's reconnect after the season, and you guys have some stories to t uh, to share as well. Oh, I sure hope so. You know, success or oh, failures, yeah. there'll be stories. That's for sure. <laughs> definitely. Well, man, thanks again. I appreciate it. Awesome. Great talking to you guys. Yeah. Hey, thanks, Dan. Take care. All right. Enjoy your evening. So, hunters, I hope you enjoyed this episode with Dan just as much as myself as well as Scott did. We had so many different questions we wanted to keep asking, and I know we could have gone another hour, maybe even two, diving into further details when it comes to his fitness techniques, when it comes to his hunting techniques. There's just a vast 
amount of information this guy's willing to share. I hope you got some information out of it and it was useful. You know, you put it to use. Try it. See if it works for you. And you know what? If you're already into the mix and you're already working out and you're already getting yourself fit, you're already training, you're going out, shooting your bow every single day, you know, getting that muscle memory, good for you. I mean, congrats. Keep it up. If the ones that haven't done it yet and you know it's getting close, start now. Start tomorrow. But start. Every day you get a chance to make a better improvement on yourself. You owe it to yourself. You owe it to the animal you're going to hunt. If this episode didn't give you fueled enough to realize that that's what's important, you know what? Maybe hunting isn't for you in this day and age. But I hope that you did take away something that was worth from this episode. And if you did, awesome. You mind just adding a little bit more to your time and giving us a review on iTunes, letting us know what you like about the show. We love reading the comments. We love interacting with the people that do take the time. It helps us out, helps everybody out because we can improve and make the show even better. So if you could, we'd appreciate it. Share it, let people know who we are, and uh, that'd help a great deal. Now, we have social accounts. You can like and follow us. We have a website. If you look on mybowrush.com forward slash follow us, it will give you links onto all of our social accounts, and um, you can follow us from there. So hope to see you in those. We hope to see some comments coming through. And if you have any questions, by all means, send it out to us. We love reading what you got. Guess that's it for now. Oh, wait, you know what? One more thing. If you stayed and listened to this whole episode, I'm going to give you a sneak peek of what we're going to talk about all next month. It's about extreme hunting. People that hunt in Africa, Alaska, Canada, New Zealand, just to name a few. But these people that we're bringing on, guys and gals, hunters and huntresses, I guess you would say all hunters, are going to be sharing their experiences. And I can tell you what, these people can tell you stories. They can really lead you through the experiences they had that's captivating. You're going to enjoy it. We've already recorded them. I can't wait to launch them out. They're going to be fascinating. But stay tuned for them. So uh, I guess that's it. I'm Travis Stowe, your host of the Bowers Podcast. I'm out of here.